Uh, we are in, as I said, Mark's Gospel, and we are reading uh, Mark uh, 14 today, and we are in Mark 14, 53, uh, through to Mark 14, 65. Mark 14, 53, 65. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, and God speaks through it, so let's listen to God as He talks to us right now. It says this, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, and the elders, and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore witnesses against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false, uh, some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands, and yet, even, uh, yet, and yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? Uh, what, is it these, what is it these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of, of, the power, of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do, you, do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received, uh, and the guards received him with blows. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Gav. I'm just going to go ahead and pop this here. Uh, thank you guys again for having me. It's a real pleasure uh, for those here and for those uh, joining us from abroad. I want to pray again uh, because I need God's uh, help to um, open up the Word, and and we all need God's help to receive that Word. So help me to pray now. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you for just enough health and energy to be here uh, this morning, wherever we are. And I ask now, Lord, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people here today, and uh, that you would help me to remember the things that will build them up. And we pray, Holy Spirit, now uh, that through my weak and feeble words that you would enact whatever you need to do in these people's lives. And those who are far from you now, those who don't follow you, those who don't consider themselves apprentices of Jesus, that they would uh, be moved now by the Spirit from death to life, we pray. This is not our work to do. This is your work to do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so we pray now that you would act. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Man, I, that was beautiful, by the way. That kid spot, I mean, joy of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, I felt was, was here. I, I didn't even want to preach anymore because I didn't want my words to diminish what God was doing in this space, but the Lord has appointed us to sit under his word today. And so um, thank you for having me. I want to just give you, uh, maybe play a bit of a word association with you for for a moment, uh, rhetorically. And um, I want you to think about these words, white bronco. I'm not sure if that means anything to anyone. Or a leather glove. Or Johnny Cochran. Or the Kardashians. Or if the glove don't fit, you must Acquit. If you don't remember what that is, that was the famous O.J. Simpson case. I remember growing up, I was in the sixth 
grade in, in year six. Now, for us, that means that we start uh, intermediary school. So um, I wasn't quite in primary. I wasn't quite in high school. But I remember uh, just the craze as, I don't know, a 10 or 11-year-old, 12-year-old, uh, walking through this major case. Such a high-stakes, high-profile case of, of murder and betrayal. And, and did he do it? Did he not do it? If you don't know anything about it, there was a, a Netflix special uh, called, I think it was The, the People vs. O.J. One, one of the, you know, it, it was a phenomenal special. And it was a famous trial that roused the crowds. I remember one day, um, I forget what, what, what uh, part of the day it was, we, we split up our days in American schools in periods. I think it was the fifth or sixth period. And the, uh, uh, the verdict was going to come in. And they actually took all of the kids out of school and we all sat in the auditorium watching, waiting to see what the verdict was. I mean, this was one of the biggest cases uh, of, of my lifetime in America. There's nothing quite like a high-profile trial. And here I want to bring out in this text is that there's another high-profile case, another trial where uh, someone else will be brought to trial and we wait with sort of bated breath to see what is going to happen. What is actually going to happen as Jesus is brought by the soldiers into uh, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish leaders? What is actually going to happen? And what I want to bring out of this text today is this, that at the very heart of the kingdom of God, at the very heart of the kingdom of God, all things that we participate in is the dynamic of reversal, where the judge is judged where the judge is judged. Now, prior to our text, what we're going to find is we find Jesus battling on his knees, struggling, struggling. Jesus struggled to submit to the will of the Father. You need to know that. Even in your struggle where, where we struggle to submit to the will of the Father, we find Jesus on his knees pleading with him, saying this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Remove it from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, he knows what he needs to do. He, he even wants to do this in, in, in a deeper sense. And yet there's this sort of just existential tussle, this, this fight of body and soul where Jesus cries out, not my will, but yours. And so up until that point, then we know the story. You, you heard it last week where uh, the disciples all desert him, Right? And a couple verses uh, before this, I'm not sure if Jacob covered it, but there's this, this naked guy who runs away. That's probably Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And at this point in, in our text, what we find is this. In a preliminary hearing, Jesus goes to a preliminary hearing before the Jewish authorities and says this. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Remember, this is in the middle of the night. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against him to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying... We heard him saying, I'll destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony 
did not agree. And I'm sure you heard this before, uh, but one of the ways that the biblical writers arrests our attention, the attention of the hearers and the readers of this word, is by use of repetition. And over and over again, we, we see this. The, the testimony they, uh, they had against Jesus, uh, they, they, had, they sought testimony but couldn't find any. And even the, the testimony that they did find did not agree. Many bore false witness against him. Some stood up, and even something as public as Jesus is saying, which is found in John chapter 2 about tearing down of the temple, even that they couldn't agree on. And over and over again, in the matter of six verses, over and over again, we hear false witnesses, false witnesses. It didn't stick. It didn't stick. They couldn't even agree. Over and over again, over and over again, what Mark is telling us by sheer repetition is that this is an absolute joke. This is a mockery. This is a kangaroo court. This should not be happening. Jesus is clearly innocent, and they're trying to trump up charges on him to get him killed. I remember uh, back in 1989, um, another Netflix special that, that they made called uh, When They See Us, uh, where there was, uh, I don't know if you remember, about the Central Park jogger or the, or the Central Park Five, where a jogger uh, was brutally assaulted and, uh, and, and violated. And they had no, the, the, the police officers, the authorities had uh, sort of no leads. And so they, they rustle up these five young uh, uh, black teenagers. Uh, one was Puerto Rican, four, four were African American. And they, they trump up charges on them. And if you see, and if you see that, uh, uh, that series, it, it grips you. Because even up against evidence that said they were innocent, even up against clear evidence saying they did not do it, it was someone or other persons, they were still tried and they were convicted, one as an adult. They spent many years behind bars before their eventual uh, exoneration. And this, in a real sense, is what is happening here. There is absolutely no evidence here, stacked up, or, or it's ignored, uh, saying that Jesus is guilty of what they are saying. This is a mockery that even against the evidence, they still seek to take Jesus' life. But then he gets, Jesus gets a rise out of them here in the next couple of verses. Uh, verse 60, follow with me. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face, to strike him and saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And now you can feel the tension rise in this scene, in this text. And this is where it becomes incredibly important for us uh, to uh, be fluent with our Old Testament scriptures. So when, when the high priest asks him, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed, he's not just saying, hey, is Christ your last name? 
So often we take Jesus Christ as Christ. Jesus is what he would put in his given name, and his Christian name is Christ. But that is a, a title for him. And it's not just a religious title. We, we need to get that. It's not just a burning religious question that he is being asked. It is one filled with political and eschatological fire. Christ is the Messiah. He is the blessed one, the anointed one, the one that folks thought would come to free the Jewish people from the oppression of the Romans. It had religious connotations, of course, but it also had political and eschatological connotations. And the way that Jesus answers pushes them over the ledge. Jesus reaches back into their collective memory in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, to let them know exactly who he is, exactly who they are facing. And this is what he says. Tim Keller puts it this way. In both of Jesus' biblical allusions here, so the Son of Man, right, comes from Daniel 7.13, and, and at his right hand comes from Psalm 110.1, The Messiah comes as a judge. Everybody in the room, all of the council of the Sanhedrin, knows who the Son of Man is. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes from the throne of God to earth in the clouds of heaven to judge the world. And the clouds of heaven are not the same as the clouds of earth, just water vapor. These clouds are the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. And therefore, by replying as he does, Jesus is saying, I will come to earth in the very glory of God and judge the entire world. It is an astounding statement, he says, a claim to deity. And so what we're seeing here is that the judge himself is being judged. There is this dramatic reversal here. And it's not only the religious establishment, it's, uh, but soon we'll see it's the social and the political establishment as well that wants to put Jesus to death. I want to take us to Mark 15 now. I'm not going to go over uh, Jesus's, uh, rather Peter's betrayal. Um, I believe that was covered a bit last week. But I want to jump over to Mark chapter 15 where uh, what we've looked at just now is, is a preliminary trial. And what we're going to now as he stands before Pilate is the trial. Verse 1 from chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark says this. I want you to enter into the story. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now, verse 6. At the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Excuse me. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. 
Verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. The same, this is a week after Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And palm branches were laid at his feet. And they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a week later, that turns into crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, I don't want to take the thunder of whoever's preaching next week, but uh, I want to say this about crucifixion particularly. Uh, Crucifixion is one of the most barbaric and irreligious symbols that we can think about. For us, it's turned into the religious symbol. We get tattoos of it. We have it on our chains. But the cross itself was a state-sanctioned mechanism of torture. Fleming Rutledge, in her beautiful book called The Crucifixion, says this about it. At the most fundamental level, and this cannot be emphasized too strongly, the cross is in no way religious. The cross is by a very long way the most irreligious object ever to find its way into the heart of faith. His execution, and in our case here, his trial was carried out by all the best people, representatives of the highest religious and governmental authorities. And what we see here is a mock trial. That it's not simply the religious system that wants to put Jesus to death, but it's the state and the populace as well that wants to put Jesus to death. But but remember this, that if at the very heart of the kingdom of God, which is the realm that we operate in, the the realm that we have been taken into, is the dynamic of reversal, then the judge must be judged. God, who is the judge, is then put on the dock. He is put to trial. Why? Because no one wants to turn upside down a system that is supporting their way of life. The religious system was being threatened by Jesus. Rome was being threatened by Jesus. And whatever... whatever threatens a corrupt system, that system must chew up and spit out. And Jesus came to do exactly that. Not just to usher our souls into some everlasting sort of ghost-like experience, but to enter into everlasting life which starts now to erect a new system in the middle of a broken system, right? That's what Daniel says. That's what Isaiah says, that that the government will be on his shoulders, that, that the kingdom of God, we are the agents of, ambassadors, as Paul calls us, of the system of the kingdom of Jesus. And if Jesus wants to reverse everything that is broken in the world, the brokenness found in our hearts, but also the brokenness found in every single sphere of existence. If that's true, then it makes sense that the religious system, backed by the political system, fueled by the populace, it makes sense that they would want to put Jesus back out to pasture. It makes sense that 
when Pilate has these two radicals, Jesus and Barabbas, saying, which one do you want? Which one will I release to you? They pick Barabbas. That, that's, a, that, that's the kind of insurrectionist, that's the kind of terrorist or revolutionary that they can handle. Right? They've stopped him before, they can stop him again. But Jesus, Jesus' revolution of love, as he enters into the broken world and, and, and uh, sows the seed of light and love in the midst of brokenness and war and pain, that they cannot stop. And so they decide to kill him. Unbeknownst to them that this is exactly what he had planned. And so, throughout we see that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of reversals. But the question is, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with, with you? You know, our vision of the good life will dictate our decisions. And this text here, this story, as we enter into it, gives us a new way to view the world, a new way to flourish in the world. It reverses what all of us have been inculcated by our culture. This particular text intersects with my own life in many ways. One of the particular ways that it it helps me is it helps me to deal with my own chronic pain. See, I'm an American. I am an Australian citizen, but I'm still an American. Don't tell them that I still hold two passports. I'm not sure if that's still okay. Um, But as an American, pain, and particularly in the West, we would have it here as well, uh, pain is just an interruption. It's an interruption, and if you had just enough faith, you wouldn't have it anymore. Injury is an insult. And so I have to live with this perpetual weakness and in a culture that, that diminishes weakness, that puts weakness to the back, both inside and outside of the church, a, 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 a culture that brings only judgment to weakness, this text fuels me with faith knowing that there is a deep reversal in, that, that, that's weaved in the fabric of the universe, that my weakness can be transformed into a strength that conquers the lies of the enemy. That say, you are permanently broken. You are expired goods. You are not enough. You should be ashamed of your pain. But this text, this text of kingdom reversal, gives us another way to think about the world, another way to operate in the world, another way to move through the world. In a culture that disciples us to be radically self-sufficient, The kingdom forms us to be dependent on both God and others. In a culture that is driven by expressive individualism, the kingdom reminds us that we are created by community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for community. In a culture shaped by affluence and excess, the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of reversals, leads us into the practice of simplicity. In a culture that lusts, for power and prestige, the kingdom tells us to pursue being a servant. In a culture that values strength, we are told to boast in our weakness. Not just get used to it, but boast in our weaknesses. In a culture that is shaped by violence, the kingdom of Jesus is to be characterized by enemy love. To be the greatest, you must become the least. To be the first, you must be last. You must be humble in order to be exalted. Only the well-fed will be hungry and the laughing will weep. It's the poor 
that will inherit the kingdom. It is the meek that will inherit the earth. That is not metaphorical. It is the meek that will inherit the earth. It's not the Alexander the Greats. It's not the Trumps or the Pol Pots or the Genghis Khans. It's the meek that will inherit the, the earth, the lowly. The hungry will be satisfied, not the full. It's the persecuted that will receive the reward. So the question is, are you getting this picture? That here, as the judge is being judged, he is again, all throughout the gospel, you've seen this, but he is again enacting this reality of reversals. And as you become uh, a disciple, it's not just about a get out of jail, uh, a get out of hell, I was playing Monopoly, a get out of hell free card. Faith, your faith, our faith, Jesus' acting in the world obviously had social and political implications. It had global implications. Faith means that we correct wrongs, that we partner with God to do that. Faith means that the good news of Jesus' kingship is that we offer the gospel and a cup of cold water. Faith means that we do not sit idly by while racist ideologies go unchecked, unquestioned, and, undis- and, 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 and propped up. Faith in Jesus means we become ambassadors for the kingdom of light, where everything that has been touched by the curse of sin will be one day reversed. And even as we cannot correct every wrong, eradicate every pocket of poverty, extinguish every residue of racism, turn every wayward soul from destruction, we work toward that end knowing that the judge of all the earth, who was judged, will do right. And so the invitation for you today, as we look at the judge being judged, the judge being put in the dock, the judge being on trial, is this. This is your invitation today, to come and see the one who created the stars one by one. He doesn't lose any of them. To come and experience the one who holds the entire universe Isaiah 40 says, in the span of his hand. To come and see the one who created justice be judged by his fallen creation. Milito of Sardis uh, lived around 180 AD. He said this, that he who suspended the earth is suspended. You think about that? Let's sit with that for just a moment. That he who suspended the earth at 23 degrees, about 23 degrees on its axis, perfectly. The one who did that is suspended. That he who fixed the heavens becomes fixed on a cross. That he who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged and God will be murdered. And your invitation today is to come to the judge who in your place was judged so that you can enter into this reality that the kingdom of God is here now. And even as we yearn and wait for the kingdom of God to come fully one day with Jesus' return, it is here. And we are free now. We're free to serve. We're free to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. We are free to die to ourselves. We are free to live for Christ. And the question for us today 
as I close here, is will you come? Will you come to the judge who for you was, who for me was judged? It was a mockery. It was a mistrial. It was a kangaroo court, and he knew it all along. He says, nobody. I love this. He sounds so gangster. Nobody takes my life from me, but I'll lay it down. And he did that for us. He did that for you. And so the question for us is, will you come to him, the judge who was judged on your behalf? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. We are free to be your friends. We are free to come to you. We are free. Not for ourselves, but we are free for others. We are free to serve. We are free to fight for others. And so may this word, Lord, uh, bury itself in our hearts and our imaginations. May we see you above all things today as beautiful and good. The one who created the stars, the one who suspended the world, the, the earth on its axis was suspended for us. And so we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.